0: me God, we give you thanks. We give you thanks that we have certainly this opportunity to praise you. We give you thanks that as we pray and as we take the things that are on our hearts and come to you, we can know that this is a two-way communication. That we speak what is on our heart, but you hear us, O oh Lord, and you move in mighty ways. And so, God, we give you thanks. Most prayer lists, what we leave out is the answered prayers. And so, God, we give you thanks for the prayers that we have prayed over the years that have been answered. The prayers even that we prayed last week that have been answered. And so, God, we come before you knowing about your reality, knowing about your power in the world, knowing in our hearts that there are things that you have done, even in our lives today, that we can be thankful for. And so it is in that spirit that we come to you with the things that are hurting us now, the burdens that we are carrying today. We lift up certainly the prayer requests are on our hearts that did not get submitted as special requests, God. We lift up those things that are in our lives that are need, that need you, that need to be made smooth, that need your healing, your comfort, and your peace. But in particular, we lift up uh, Sandra, uh, who is in treatment uh, for pancreatic cancer, God. We pray for your healing hand to rest upon her. that She may be made well, that the treatment may be effective, We lift up John Hafner, uh, who is recovering from a stroke, Um, and God, we give you thanks um, that yesterday afternoon we got fairly good news, that John is definitely improving, that it may be a long way to go, but God, we give you thanks uh, for the miracle that he is still with us, that he is fighting, that he is improving, and so God, we pray for his continued healing. We lift up Jason's grandmother, uh, Mildred, who also suffered from a stroke last week. She's in a place where she's not eating or drinking, uh, but God, we give you thanks that she is at peace that she knows that you are in, his, in her life, that she knows where she is going, and that she knows that she is loved in this life, um, and that she has a heavenly home awaiting her wherever that day may come. Uh, We lift up Charlie, uh, who also suffered from a stroke and is in healing. Um, God, we pray for his healing that he may continue to grow stronger each day. We lift up Kelly Tinley, um, who is feeling under the weather. God, we pray that your healing hand may rest upon her, that she may be made well. And we lift up uh, Courtney Flores, um, who is suffering uh, from melanoma that is spreading, God. Uh, We pray that that cancer may be stopped. God, we pray that she may be made whole and right, that it all may be made well. And certainly, God, we also lift up all of those who are suffering in the ongoing coronavirus pandemic. Uh, God, we pray even as cases rise in this country and around the world. God, we pray for your healing. We pray that this disease may be defeated. We pray that all those who need it may have access to the medical attention that they are in so desperate need of. But God, we pray that even as there was it before, that someday, by your grace, there may be an after. Um, God, we also know that we as your people do not always do as we should do. Um, We sin and fall short of Your glory. And so, God, we confess those places in our hearts and know even as we do so that you make them right again. That your second chance is always there for us to grab onto no matter how many second chances it is that we need. And so, God, may we take this second chance that we have received in you and carry that forth out in the world. That we may be your people. That we may go and make disciples. That we may be your hands and feet everywhere we go. In Jesus' most holy name we pray. Amen. I invite you to be seated. I invite uh, Pastor Emily uh, to come forward. Uh, to, uh, and the children to come forward for a message prepared just for them.
1: Yeah, what is it? An advent wreath. There we go. An advent wreath. Proudly. What's one thing that reminds you of God's love during this Christmas season? What's something that that helps you to remember God's love? So I was praying for some more snow this Christmas, and when I woke up, I saw some frost outside. That's pretty exciting. The weather can be an awesome way that God shows us that God loves us, huh? All right, what else? I wish for snow. You wish for snow, too? All right, how about from the ladies over here? I'm going to come around so yeah, I can hear y'all's answers. I know. What's something that you love about Christmas? I know they didn't know they were going to get a pop quiz this morning. Yeah. <laughs> Phone a friend from mom. Let's What are you gonna say? Maybe like, just like shelters and like people donating food. Yeah, absolutely. All of us giving to the stockpot, right? All that fun stuff. All right, you have one, Kaylee. No, not today. Okay. Well, let's light this candle.
0: No worries. Our scripture this morning um, is, comes from the prophet Micah, um, chapter 5, uh, verses 2 through 5a. But you, O Bethlehem of Ephrathathah, you, excuse me, who are one of the little clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to rule in Israel, whose origin is from of old, from ancient days. is god's good word for us god's beloved people thanks be to god amen so this morning i have for you another update in uh trey comstock's weird history of failed activist movements uh today we are going to look at an incident that happened on uh the camp william and mary's campus while i was there the president of the university uh touched one of the sacred cows They're not literally sacred cows. He moved an antique from one part of a building to another part of a building, and this led to him being forced to resign. All he did was move one object from one place, move it about 50 feet into another container, um, and this was enough for it to blow up in weird national politics. It was enough for the pressure to get put on uh, the board that ran the, ran the college. Uh, and for the college to force out the president after having only been there for two years. Student body... Not overly pleased with this decision that they had made, so we decided uh, that we were going to start a protest movement. Um, this was, you know, late 2000s, um, and so millennials got, were starting to learn our skill set at protest movements, and so we decided we were going to give one a try, uh, that we were going to protest uh, the basically forced firing of President G. Nichols. Um, and so the whole student body went on strike, and there were like rallies, and there were signs, and there were placards, and the slides are working. I have images of many of these things. Um, and this put enough pressure on the university's board of directors that they felt the need to respond. I remember clearly, right, we were very upset and, you know, again, I I think I spent one of the strike days to go get my oil changed, but we're just going to set that aside. I was there with the people in the trenches most of the time. Um, It was great. We didn't have class. We, like, met outside and did other things. Uh, We should go on strike more often. It's not good for your grades, I don't think, but, you know, it's really great. Um, So the board of directors felt the need to respond. And so there was this town hall meeting where representatives from the board were going to like hear the students' concerns and respond to them somehow. And I remember sitting towards the back of this meeting and listening to what they were saying and also listening to what they were kind of putting out in the press, and I reached three very important conclusions. One, they were not going to change their mind. We could yell. We could go on strike. We could torched the university to the ground and they were not going to change their mind. They had decided that this man had touched a sacred cow and you don't touch the sacred cows. Um, and so now this guy's gone. You're not getting it back. Two was, it really didn't matter what arguments we made, it didn't matter what we presented, they were not going to listen to us even a little bit. Uh, they were just doing this town hall to drive home just how little they were going to listen. And point the third thing I realized, is it's because they didn't care. They didn't care. They just fundamentally had no interest in what the students had to say. Yes, are we the ones that largely pay the bills in the university? Oh, absolutely. They get a little bit of money from the state of Virginia, but it's largely our tuition, particularly out-of-state students, really fund that show. Didn't care. Didn't matter that there were 6,000 of us and 12 of them. Didn't care. They had their priorities. They were going to follow their priorities. They were not going to listen to the students, and there was nothing we could do about it. And so I walked out of there going, that was fun, kids. We're getting a new university president, whether we like it or not, because these people who theoretically take care of us, these people who are theoretically in charge of an institution that we, like some of us, literally live in, do not care. They like that we're smart and that we do smart things to make the university look good. They like that when we pay our bills on time. They don't like when we don't pay our bills on time. But they don't care. They are not for us. They are for whatever weird goals the governor of the state of Virginia at that time had. That was it. We were not their primary audience. They didn't give a darn. I have other words. We're going to go with that. That's the kind of situation that, like, leadership charged with caring for the people, not giving a darn about the people, that's what Micah is writing about. Micah is not a happy prophet. Micah is a very angry prophet. Specifically, Micah is a prophet from a small town about 10 kilometers outside of Jerusalem. Small, rural, farming town. He's not from Jerusalem. He's not from the high and mighty places. Instead, he spends his whole prophetic ministry being really deeply critical Of the people in the high and mighty places, specifically because they were not caring for the ordinary people. This is a weird time. This is the seventh century uh, BC. So really, or eighth century BC, the seven hundreds. It's really weird time where like the Assyrian Empire is really flexing their muscles and trying to do a thing, Um, and so the leadership in Jerusalem really doesn't want to get attacked by the the Assyrians, so they are selling all of their possessions and giving them to the Assyrians. They're taking all of the money year after year that they make and trying to pay off the Assyrians to not come in and wreck the shop. They are trying to play global politics and gain the favor of the Assyrians, which sounds like an okay idea, except they've sold everyone who lives in their country, who pays their taxes, who supports all of this, down the river. The people, the ordinary people, in the farming towns like Micah is from, are hurting. So Micah gives this prophecy in Micah 5, where Micah is giving you a picture of what a godly king looks like in order to underscore how ungodly the current king is. Someday, when the birth pangs are over, and the people come back, God's going to send a king to Bethlehem, one of the little tribes of Judah, uh, that's going to be a whole heck of a lot better than the guy that's in there now. That's what this prophecy is. This is a vision of a godly king. A king that is a good shepherd, that cares for the people, that is not like the William & Mary administration circa 2008, Uh, where you come with reasonable complaints, and they go, yeah, we don't care. Because that's what the administration in Jerusalem is doing at this point. Yeah, 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 we know you're starving, and your crops are failing, and you've got nothing. We don't care. We don't care. We don't care. Micah cares. And Micah knows that God cares. And so Micah paints this vision of what a godly king looks like. And one of the things that a godly king looks like is that godly king is from Bethlehem, Specifically. And that's Micah 5:2. This nod specifically to Bethlehem. But you, O Bethlehem of Ephraim, who are one of the little clans of Judah, you shall come forth for me. From you shall come forth for me one who is to rule Israel, whose origin is from of old, from ancient days. Why Bethlehem? Why are we so obsessed with Bethlehem? Why does Bethlehem keep coming up? If you would do like a man on the street type interview and ask a non-Christian to tell you, name two cities in ancient Israel, there are only two they could name most likely. One is Jerusalem. The other is Bethlehem, which is really weird. Because if you look at the like power and structure and all of this, Bethlehem is nowhere. It's like a nowhere suburb of Jerusalem. It is not an important town. It's a shepherd's village in like the shadow of this big, important thing. Bethlehem is not an important city in the grand political scheme of the ancient world. It's just a small working class town full of working class people with one claim to fame. It produced King David. David is from Bethlehem. It is the city of David because it's the small working-class town that gave birth to the great one of the great heroes of the Old Testament because he was, a, he was the son of a shepherd. He was out in the fields tending the sheep when this prophet shows up and his dad apparently forgot about his existence because you read the story of when David gets called by Samuel. It is, oh, Jesse, have you shown me all of your sons? Oh, wait, no, I forgot that other one. He's out in the field. Bring that one in too. And that's how David became king because he's the son of a shepherd. David's a working class guy from a working class town. If you drive along, I think it's I-40, but I know it's Oklahoma. you drive through Oklahoma, there is some small town that is really proud that it produced Carrie Underwood. I don't remember what town this is, but it has a giant highway sign that says home to Carrie Underwood. There's nothing else that this town brags about, but this is really proud that it produced specifically Carrie Underwood. That's Bethlehem. If Bethlehem had a road sign along I-40, what it would say is like there's a McDonald's, uh, there's a Sonic, there's one gas station, home of David of Bethlehem. It's the only claim to fame had a real good moment in about 1100 BC, and then has not had a moment since. So 300 years later, they are still really excited that they gave birth to David and the line in the house of David, even though he shut up shop in Jerusalem five miles away and did not shut up shop in Bethlehem where he was from. And you know they're bitter about that. You know, just as like there's some vague story about Palestine was almost the capital of the state of Te- the capital of the state of Texas. Uh, there is a story some old person who's been alive for 400 years remembers when Bethlehem could have been the capital of all of Israel, but Jerusalem got it instead because the well was better or whatever. It's like that. So why do these really important people keep coming from this middle of nowhere town that doesn't matter at all? Because being from an ordinary place and being from ordinary people says something about what it means to be the kind of king God wants. The kind of king to rule God's kingdom. The kind of king that you could describe as godly. That Micah here describes as a shepherd to his people. That he's not from the high places. And thus disconnected from what's really going on with God's people. That he's from the low places. That he's from the small working class towns. To say that this is a different kind of king. And if you flash forward, this is talking about Jesus. That he's the savior of the world. That the savior of the world is a different kind of savior than what you would think. Because this savior is from the ordinary places. Born in an ordinary way. Born as an ordinary baby. All of this talks about the humility. All of this talks about that a godly king serves first rather than expects to be served. And that's that back half. That's Micah chapter five, verses four through five is describing a king that is very different from who was ruling in Jerusalem at that moment and sets a very different standard for how God rules, decides God's people to be taken care of. And he shall stand and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord, his God, and they shall live secure for now. And he, they shall live secure for now. He shall be great to the ends of the earth and he shall be the one of peace. It's a king that cares for his people. A king that is not so far away and disconnected but a king a lord a savior who walks among us who lives a human life who knows human need and who loves us for that that is a very different kind of king to rule a very different kind of kingdom Another thing that's interesting about this prophecy in Micah is it does not come true in Micah's day. We think the baby that's being born is Hezekiah, and Hezekiah does a better job than a lot of the other biblical kings. Uh, You can still go into Hezekiah's tunnel. Hezekiah does a reasonably good job of protecting God's people uh, from the Assyrians. But there's this line in verse 2 about God's people coming back. We think that means the northern kingdom, which has already fallen to the Assyrians, like coming back and coming back to Jerusalem. And that part never happens. It just doesn't happen in the biblical time. And so it's one of the reasons why we grab hold of this prophecy and say, huh, I I don't know what Micah knows, but maybe this is a prophecy about Jesus. Maybe this is talking about not just what God is going to do in that moment in 700 and whatever, 711 B.C., but what God is going to do in the grander scheme of things. Because one of the things, whether Micah had it in his mind or not, we know that Jesus is that promised king. Jesus is that king. And because he is born in Bethlehem, Jesus is going to be a very different kind of king. For a very different kind of kingdom. A king that loves. A king that serves. A king that sacrifices for his people, not makes his people do that for him. Hey, that's positive. Well, that's fun. Sorry about that, friends. Often in this life, I can feel like the people who are supposed to care for us don't. Whether they be boards of colleges, kings and rulers, bosses, parents, whoever. And so we can mistake the failures of the earthly people that are supposed to watch over us with God. Because the truth is, by coming as a baby, by being born in a small, working-class town, rather than in the grand places, the grand palaces, the grand whatever, God is making a bold statement in Christ, that Jesus is for you. Jesus knows the walk you have walked the pain of ordinary human life. And Jesus will be there to eternally feed God's flock as the right ruler of God's people. You are never disconnected from Christ. Christ is never that ruler out of touch with what you need. Jesus is for you, no matter who you are talk often you might about this but it's thing we need reminding you let that voice in the back of your head say yeah but i've done this that ain't for me he doesn't care about me or i'm not important god's got all these important things to worry about god doesn't care about me or i've done this or i've said that or whatever i have done something that's going to disqualify me that God is disconnected from me, and I am so far from God, that only we can distance ourselves from God. God's never going to distance God's self from you. Because Christ came for you. Christ lived the life he did to say to each of us, I am here alongside you. And I will be your shepherd. and You can be my people. That's the hope that comes in the world in Christ. That's the love of God. That Micah saw so clearly of how God wants the world to be. And in coming, Christ makes the world that way for any who want it to be so. Let us pray. Grace and God, we give you thanks. We give you thanks that you are not far from us. We give you thanks. That you came into the world and lived a normal life to show us that we are not far from you. That you are right there, alongside us. You know our hurts, and you will be our shepherd. And so, loving God, may we indeed celebrate that love, accept that love, and follow after you, our good King. Feeds God's people. Our good king that is one of peace. Our good king that can bring the message of love throughout the world. In Jesus' most holy name we pray. Amen. I invite you to grab the hands of the people around you. Form one united body in Christ for in the power of God's Holy Spirit that is what we are. So we depart this service with the blessing. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. We follow A king of kings and Lord of lords was born in Bethlehem so that you would know that that Lord of lords is always there for you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.